So good to be here, y'all. I'm just pumped. I'm excited. Like, sometimes I get so excited that then I just, I do a really bad job. So I'm trying to, like, calm down and stay focused. But I'm just happy to be here, y'all. And happy about this series. And just, um, I've shared this in little pockets, and we've discussed it as a staff. But just so much vision around what is happening in Victory Life Church and what is coming in, even in the next few months, that the Lord is moving in our house. And I don't know if your expectations are up, but you need to get your expectations up. I believe God is going to move significantly in our house in this coming year, even in the next few months. I've specifically felt a stirring for what's going to be taking place over the course of the summer. And just the Lord just moving us into our next, our corporate next, and that looking like new levels of of corporately holding, carrying revival in our house. And revival is not something that just happens. It happens because of people are hungry for the face and the feet of Jesus. It's not going to just happen on its own. It's a people that are burning with a passionate desire for the presence and the face of the Lord. And even in worship tonight, I felt that as we sang about the presence of God, that this is a house that yearns. We, Victory Life Sherman Campus, are a house that yearns for the presence of the Lord. And of course, yes, we always have it. We're the temple of the living God. We carry the presence of the Lord everywhere that we go. But there's a way in which the Father manifests himself among his people when they come together in agreement that you can't experience by yourself. You can have and are called to personal revival, but corporate revival is what we are called to for the benefit of the world. The world needs a church that is on fire, a church that is zealous for the presence. We're not passive about the presence, and that's why we're talking about the things that we're talking about in this series, because so often when you sit under really good teaching like we do, we are blessed at Victory Life to have incredible teachers and incredible music ministers, and there comes with being blessed. Amen. Amen. Thank y'all. Amen. We're blessed. And that comes with this temptation to become spectators because everything's happening up here. It's like, oh yeah, we got awesome teachers up here. We have awesome worship ministry team happening up here. We've got awesome prayer teams that meet up here and they're doing their thing. And there's this temptation to become a spectator. But worship means a life of surrender where everyone is engaged. Remember we talked about, and we'll touch on this again, worship means to lay prostrate. I'm gonna lay my life down before the Lord. That means not just the pastors and not just the worship team and not just the altar workers, but every individual in the house laying their full being down before the Lord and saying, whatever you want to do, come and do it through me. I'm a yielded, willing vessel. You don't have to be awesome. You don't have to be educated. You just have to be willing. He puts his treasure in clay pots. Any clay pots in the house? (laughs) I'm willing, Lord, to be a clay pot. You don't have to be a hot shot. You have to be a clay pot. Amen. (laughs) Amen. That's what we're going to be, a house of clay pots that carry the treasure of the Lord, the treasure of his presence, of his goodness, and that we release it. We're not spectators, but we're actively taking kingdom risks, responding to his drawing and his leading, and moving with him in obedience. That God, I'm not just going to watch what you're doing. I'm going to actively participate in it. Amen? I didn't plan any of that. So now let's get into our word. We've been talking about heart issues. Heart issues is the name of this series. And I've been wanting to look at the relationship between our hearts, surrender, and a life of worship. And so really the the title of our message comes from Proverbs 4.23. And it says, 
to guard our hearts with all diligence because from our hearts flow the issues of life. And over the course of this series, we've been very careful to define what the heart is. And we'll look at that here in, in review in a moment. But that the Father is, is diligently after the hearts of, of men. You could argue that all of Scripture is God's pursuit of the hearts of men. He wants our hearts. Because if He has our hearts, He has all of us. Our whole life, our legacy, everything that we are. And so the Lord is after our hearts. And Proverbs 4.23 gives us this charge to guard our hearts with all diligence because all the issues of our life flow from our hearts. Meaning everything that you do and the way that you respond to everything that is done to you, your entire existence, first passes through the fountain of your heart. All of your life, the content of your entire life, issues comes from your heart. And so the Lord charges us in stewarding our heart that we are to guard our heart. And a guard gives or denies access. That's what we get to do. I can give access to the Spirit of God, give access to the Word of God, the Word of truth. I can give access to peace and love and kindness. And I can deny access of the lies of the enemy. I can deny shame and guilt. I get to choose what gains access to the place of my heart. And that, that is a thing that we can't be passive about. It's a daily call to guard. Every day that you wake up is a call to guard. Stand guard. Stand your post. Actively be aware of what you are allowing into the space of your heart every day. That's something that we're called to. And when we are continually or habitually surrendering or giving access to God, this is surrender. And when we do this day in and day out, we begin to cultivate a life of worship, meaning our whole heart, we are pursuing surrender every day, every opportunity that we get. And so I want to tonight specifically look at um, a life of worship. We've been moving this direction for a couple weeks. We've talked about surrender or the heart, then surrender and worship, a life of worship. So that the goal is to bring your heart to a life of worship. And so I want to look for a moment at kind of beginning to understand what worship is. If we are entering into surrender on a daily basis, what are we surrendering to? And I believe John 4, 23, this is one of my favorite verses. It's a life verse I shared last time that comes from Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well. John 4, 23, it says, he says to the woman at the well, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Lord is seeking individuals that will surrender to him in spirit and in truth. That means I'm surrendering continually at every opportunity to the guiding of the Holy Spirit and to the word of truth. God's word and God's Holy Spirit. God's truth in Christ Jesus. The truth of the gospel. The truth of the Logos written word and the truth of his rhema spoken word. The words that he speaks to me. I'm yielding in obedience to them at every opportunity. And so I want us, before we move back into our story, because we have a story to pick up, um, I want us to revisit our key terms because 
these things, I, I'm, I'm repetitious because, y'all, I, and I went to school to be an elementary teacher. And so I believe in repetition. <laughs> it's powerful. That's how things stick. And so if I treat you like little kids, it's not, it's no offense, y'all. It's because that's, that's the way I was trained. <laughs> but repetition's powerful. And there's, I believe there's some of these key things I want us to get deeply in our heart. But um, the first one is the heart. And how we define the heart, I think, is so important because we, um, as 21st century Americans, have a very uh, small, really a narrow view of what the heart is. But an ancient Jew has a very expansive understanding, a deeper understanding of what the heart is. So we've taken time to define it over these last couple of weeks. The heart is the seat of your intellect, your understanding, perceptions, emotions, affections, desires, will, purpose, and character. It is everything that you are. Whereas we as Americans typically assign the heart as being the place of of desire or affection only, the Jew would understand reading in scripture all of the 800 plus references of the heart. They would read those references and immediately begin to think of these things, that my heart is everything that I am. It's my will, purpose, my intellect even. My very thoughts and perceptions are seated in my heart. The next term I want us to revisit is to surrender. Now this is a straight up like Webster's Dictionary definition, but I thought it was powerful. To surrender is to cease resistance to and submit to an authority. I think that's powerful because there are instances I know in my life where I, there's some areas where I easily yield to the Father and some areas where I tend to resist Him. Um, There's areas that it's easy for me to give over to Him and some areas where I keep Him at an arm's length. Like, Lord, I don't want you to touch this particular area of my life. But when we are living a life of surrender, we cease to resist and we submit to the authority of. And we already talked about what is that authority? It's the Spirit and the truth, the Holy Spirit and the Word of truth. And the last one is the Hebrew word for worship is shaka. Everybody say shaka. I told you last time, if you don't know how to say it, make it fun. So make it fun. Shaka, the Hebrew word for worship. This is the last term I want us to look at. It means to lay prostrate or bow down. That is the, the literal meaning of worship in scripture is to lay down. And so the goal of of our lives is to wake up daily and to, to uh, even Whitney's uh, read out of the psalm tonight, like search my heart, Lord, that prayer to search me and know me. Every day that I live, I'm asking the Lord to search me and know me. Search the content of my heart. What more can I surrender to you today? What more can I yield to you today? This isn't a call to perfection from us. It's a call to yieldedness. We simply have to be yielded. God never calls us to be perfect. He just calls us to be honest, to be yielded, to be real with him, to allow him access to our hearts. Good, bad, and ugly. It doesn't all have to be clean and squeaky and neat in there. He just wants access to whatever is in there. Amen? And when we give him access, that's a life of worship. It's, it's not perfection that's a life of worship. It's a life of yieldedness. Amen? Okay, so we got through our terms, we got through our introduction, and we're going to move back. Oh, no, I do want to show you all one more thing. I like this visual, so we'll go ahead and put that Venn diagram back up there. Do we have that? I like this because in my mind, the goal of the heart, see, as the heart moves toward a life of worship, 
surrender is what brings us into a life of worship. And the goal of our lives is that those circles would completely overlap, meaning every bit of my heart has become surrendered to the Father. That's what I wake up every day, and I'm like, Lord, what more can I yield to you? And this is a lifetime. This is not instantaneous, and this is not one time only. This is a daily practice, daily discipline to yield our hearts and our lives to the Lord. It's what we're called to as the priests of God. We bear our hearts before the Lord, and we yield them to him every day. So now we are going to move back into our story. And I'm excited about this. Is 2 Samuel 6 is where we've been. I love 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I have been so tempted over the last few weeks to run so many different directions with these passages because there's just so much there. I've had really rich conversations even with some of you after service talking about what all is, is here packed into this chapter. But what we're looking at in 2 Samuel 6 is King David. He is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. And I think we have a picture of the Ark up here, just in case nobody knows what that looks like. Um, The Ark of the Covenant is the place where the manifest presence of the Lord rested. And it was a central place in the tabernacle where the offerings for atonement were made on top of it, on the mercy seat. The blood of uh, the sacrifices were placed upon this mercy seat for the atonement of sins. And this is where the manifest presence of God was, where the priests encountered the living presence of the living God. And um, so this thing is precious, and it's been gone. It's been misplaced, not with the people of God, for a couple of decades. And so David has made a point that I'm bringing this back to the people of God. I'm going to bring it back into the city of David. And so they've been going through this whole process. He makes an attempt to bring the ark. The first attempt doesn't go so well, but his second attempt goes very well, and he's getting the ark of the covenant into the city of David. And that is where we pick up now in our story. Okay. Okay, y'all ready? Everybody good? Make some noise. How y'all doing? Woo! Yes, y'all. Still got it. We got it. Yes. Okay. 2 Samuel 6. We're going to start in verse 14. And I'm going to read a little chunk, but I'm not going to read the whole chunk. I'm going to skip some. So I'll tell you when I'm going to skip. But we're going to start in verse 14. It says, so they're, remember, they're in procession bringing this ark into the city of David. Verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. Everybody say, linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And now we're going to skip to verse 20. It says, Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, sarcastically, I might add. How glorious was the king of Israel today? That's how she sounded. Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And so David said to Michal, what a woman, am I right? Like, Lord in mercy. They need to see Pastor Terry and <laughs> some marital counseling. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. Everybody say before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and will hum- and be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. So 
David has returned with thousands of his people ushering in the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. And this is a full-blown celebration. All of the worship team is there. All of his people are there. The priests, everybody that is there. The whole nation is rejoicing. This is a nation in revival. This nation has been without the manifest presence of God for over two decades. And now the presence of God is being brought back into the city of David. So the whole nation is rejoicing that God's presence has returned to the city of David. This is a picture of corporate revival that's happening and then you've got Mikkel, his precious wife, bless her heart, who is watching this procession happening from her window. And one of the, the verses that we skipped says she saw David in his linen ephod and she despised him. She despised him for dressing like the other priests and, and walking in this procession like one of them instead of wearing his royal robe. So there's a lot happening right here in this chunk that I want us to begin to glean from. Last time we talked about the cost of surrender, and I want us to move a little deeper in looking at what is the cost of a life of worship. What is the cost that we are, we are called to pay in, in leading a life of worship, in, in living a life completely laid down, a life that David demonstrates in bringing the ark in? Number one, a life of worship will cost you your identity. A life of worship is going to cost you your identity. The way you think of yourself, the, what you identify with, a life of worship is going to cost you that. David took off his kingly garments, his kingly robes. Everything that he identified with in the natural, he laid aside to put on the uniform of a priest. If you didn't know he was the king, you may not be able to discern in the crowd that that's King David because he was wearing what all the other priests were wearing, a linen ephod. Do we have a picture of an ephod? Y'all, sorry, it's so hard to find images of this stuff, so this is what we got. But I will be, I will be honest, though, this was my uh, computer background for, like, years when I was in college. It's the only picture I could find of David dancing. But here we have David dancing in his linen ephod, unidentifiable as king. He looks like one of the priests. David has laid down what he identified with in the natural, and that is what we are called to do. We put off our natural identity to put on the identity of Christ. That's what we are called to do. It means everything, everything that you identify with in the natural, good, bad, and ugly, where you came from, what you're good at, all of that long list, that gets laid at the altar. That gets laid at the feet of Jesus. And we dress ourselves daily in identifying with Christ Jesus. We could do a whole series on what it means to be identified now with Christ. Where we say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the faith in the one who gave himself for me because he loved me. My life now is dictated by, is shaped by Christ. That's why Paul writes, I die daily. 
That's the kind of life we're called to. Where Antoinette in and of the flesh, she doesn't exist anymore. She has been laid at the feet of Jesus. Now it's Christ in her, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are no longer just you. You are Christ alive on the inside of you. And now every good trait and every good, bad, and ugly story becomes colored by the glory of God. When we wake up every day and we say, I'm going to put on Christ today. I'm going to take off my robe and I'm going to put on my ephod. I want to give you an example of something I experienced. This was years kind of in the making, but when I was very young, I had, I knew I, I was called to a few things. I knew I was called to do this kind of stuff and to call to worship leading. And worship leading was the thing that came first. And so that started at a very young age. I was cultivating being a worship leader in private in my bedroom for years before it ever happened publicly. And so when I became a worship leader publicly in our house, um, I began to really lean into that as an identity. And I remember the father over the course of years telling me that, baby, you can't, you're not just a worship leader. You can't lean your whole being into identifying with just this one thing. Ultimately, we're his. We're not just the things that we do, the things that we're good at, you know. We are his. But I was leaning my whole self into my identity as a worship leader. And I remember him asking me questions like, honey, what, what would happen if you couldn't lead worship? Or what if I asked you to sit down? And there were seasons where the Lord would ask me to sit down from leading worship because it had become too important. I'd identified too much. It was the first thing that I'd experienced so much um, accolade and congratulations and a sense of the anointing even of the Lord. And I loved it. But I, we can't love what we do more than we love Jesus. Amen? We're called ultimately to minister to him. And if what you're doing starts getting in the way, it's time to bring it to the altar again. And so there was times over and over, I would bring that to the altar. I would step back from ministry and I would take a break because I was in training. I, the Lord was growing me up. I was a kid and he needed me to know early, you are not what you do. You need to be able to walk away from this. If I call you to do something else, you need to be able to say goodbye, <laughs> you know? If Jesus goes one way and what you do goes the other, you need to be willing to go with Jesus, amen? And it was in 2019 that this really got tested for the first time, I, really, I realized. In 2019, I suffered a weird respiratory illness. And it wasn't something I really talked about. It was something that I just privately dealt with because it, it really scared me. But I had a, just a weird respiratory thing. And I had traveled to Uganda during this time also. And it lasted almost a year of just, I, I would have these respiratory issues in the day and severe illness at night. Just uh, muscular stuff. Just It was strange. And um, I remember... Even while I was in Uganda, that's why we don't think, I mean, I was tested I had, for all kinds of stuff. They could not figure out what was going on. And it was already starting before I went to Uganda because the doctors had suspicions. Maybe you picked something up while you were there, but I was already experiencing it before. And even while in Uganda, I, I couldn't sing to full capacity. Some days I could barely talk. 
I couldn't say full sentences without coughing. One night during that year, I had to minister on the stage, and it was a friend of mine that laid hands on me and prayed that my cough would cease. And the whole time I preached, I didn't cough. But as soon as I got off the stage, I started coughing again. So that's a whole healing testimony in and of itself. The Lord gave me a word, and it was Galatians 2.20. And so this is a side note. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the faith of the one who gave himself for me because he loved me. That became the scripture. The Lord told me you need a tether, and you need to speak it, and you need to apply it like medicine every day. And I applied that word like medicine every day, and I stood on it, and I was healed of that respiratory, whatever that was, and walked in the fullness of, of just health. I have the full capacity. It took a year almost for my voice to come back to fullness. But in that time, I remember the Lord and me having conversations. If I never sing again, I'm still going to serve you with everything I've got. If I never get to lead worship or even talk, you still got all of me. And it was the first time I realized I don't identify with being a worship leader anymore. I put that robe at his feet. And that's what he's calling each and every one of us to do. We're all called to do mighty things for the kingdom. You have a significant purpose that nobody else can fulfill what it is that you're called to do. But you cannot identify so much with that calling that you forget your, your primary calling is to sit at the feet of Jesus and be in face-to-face -face relationship with the living God. Amen. That's what we're called to. What you do will change. I've realized it changes constantly. I thought I'd be a worship leader for my whole life. That's already changed. I'm not doing that as much anymore. There's a lot of things I thought I'd do forever. What you do will change. But the thing that you're called to, your ultimate purpose is to sit at the feet of the Lord. Amen. So a life of worship will cost you your identity. We put off our kingly robes and we put on the ephod of obedience. We wear the ephod of obedience, meaning whatever he says today, that's what I'm going with. Wherever he directs me today, that's what I'm doing. I'm not identifying anymore with my strengths or my weaknesses. I'm not identifying with my past or what people said about me when I was little. I'm identifying with Christ. Amen. Let's see. I think, do I have time? There's some more there, but I think I'm going to leave it for another time. Lord bless it. Uh, number two. So the life of worship will cost you your reputation. So these three points we're making tonight, they're very closely related, but there are differences. Number one, we said a life of worship will cost you your identity. And this specifically, I want to lean toward that's what you think about you. But when we are looking at number two, a life of worship will cost you your reputation. That's what others think about you, what other people are thinking about you. This, too, is something that we lay at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to lay at the feet of Jesus what other people think about me. And I love um, revisiting 2 Samuel 6.20. I love David's whole attitude, and this whole thing is beautiful. But 2 Samuel 6.20, when Michal is talking to him with her sarcastic voice, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And by uncover, meaning he took off his kingly robes and put on an ephod like the priests. And she calls him a base fellow for that. Everybody say base fellow. A simple definition for base fellow is a fool. You looked a fool. You're acting a fool and you look like a fool. What are you doing, king of Israel, identifying with all these priests, taking off your identity, your royal robe, and putting on an ephod and wearing the uniform of a priest? You look like a fool. 
I love that word, fool. Everybody say fool. (laughs) You look like a fool. I'm like, this has become a prayer of my heart. Because I even, I was talking to my husband not too long ago. And just, if you knew me, even 10 years ago, Miss Beverly, I know you know she's grown, we've grown up together. A lot of y'all have grown up with you. I was extremely shy. Everybody say extremely. (laughs) It ain't no joke. I was an extremely shy young person. I would drop dead if you asked me to get in front of anybody. I just wasn't about that. Like, no, I was reserved to myself. I liked my own little inner world. I don't need all of this. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, but what I, I have experienced, what I was telling my husband recently, is it's so funny that the Lord has called me to something where I feel like I continually embarrass myself. Like, I'm just, I'm always out in front of people, and I'm always messing up. I mess up on this stage, like, every week. Like, just something that I do wrong, or it's just, it's so funny that God's called me to a life where I'm just out there in the open and embarrassing myself all the time. Like, whoo, awesome, <laughs> this is great. Um, I feel like the Lord's fool. But I've told him, I'm willing to be your fool. Whatever you want me to do, I am willing, Lord, to be your fool. And this is the attitude that David has. Man, I'm willing to be the Lord's fool. You call it foolish. I call it obedience. Um, there's a verse. I love this. It says, 1 Corinthians 127 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. I believe the eyes of the Lord are searching the body of Christ in this season for the fools. Is there anybody foolish enough to take me at my word and live a life of surrendered obedience? Is there anybody foolish enough to receive my ark or my presence in a fresh way and begin to bear it in a a walk toward revival? Is there anybody foolish enough that will yield their whole heart to me in a habitual basis? The Lord is looking for the foolish. I'm willing to be the foolish. Remember, we're just clay pots. We don't have to be awesome. We just have to be yielded. And who cares what anybody else has to say about it? That was always the enemy coming at me. Every time I stepped into a new place of territory, he would say to me, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You can't lead worship. You can't prophesy. You can't pray. And you certainly can't speak for all this list of reasons. And he'd be, he's so good. He's got such a good memory for all these reasons. But what the enemy has to say about you and what anybody else in your past or your present or your future has to say about you does not get the final word. It's the word of God. The word that's been spoken and released over your life, the purpose that he has imparted, that is what we live by. And so my reputation can go to, well, sorry, (laughs) hell in a handbasket because I am for the Lord. And that's not out uh, out of spite or rebellion. It's out of a sincere heart of obedience. I don't need to be mean to people. I don't need to be disrespectful to anybody. But at the end of the day, the opinions of others do not trump God's opinion of me. I have to be faithful to what he has said. I'm called to obey him, not to be moved by everybody's opinion of me. Your reputation, you need to let it go. We lay it down at the altar. In the end, 
God is going to get all of the glory for your life. There is a glory to be tasted, a glory to be experienced that does not compare to a reputation in the earth. I don't need a reputation among men. I want a reputation in the heavenlies. I want a reputation in the throne room of God. I want to have a reputation before the King of Kings. Amen? That's what we're called to. So even in moments of worship, let's get real. (laughs) In moments of corporate worship, We don't have to get crazy, but at the end of the day, it's like, I want to yield to the Lord in obedience. Even as we engage in worship in this house, there's nothing to be shy about. There's nothing to, to, you know, because we all experience that of, you know, what if somebody looks at me if I raise my hands? (laughs) Or what if somebody looks at me if I come to the front to worship? Or what if somebody looks at me if I cry? Man, that ship has sailed. I cry every service. I get up here preaching with no makeup on every time. Like, Lord Jesus, see what I mean? Embarrassing myself all the time. But that's what we're called to. We're just called to enjoy the Lord. We don't have to be manipulative with our emotions, but we don't have to repress them either. You know, we can release our response to the Father in sincere obedience and allow him to, allow the Father to refine those things and begin to, just begin to enjoy the presence of the Lord. There's something for us to taste corporately together of the presence of God. And I believe it looks a little bit like David dancing. There's a dance in this house. I've been hearing that in my spirit for months. There's a dance that needs to be released in Victory Life Sherman. There's a a cutting of the rug to be done (laughs) in this house. And I want to respond to it. And I don't want to be worried about my reputation. So y'all get ready because Nettie's about to dance. (laughs) Not right now. But I don't want y'all to, I'm not embarrassed, so y'all don't be embarrassed for me. But there is a response to the presence of God when a heart is wholeheartedly, sincerely yielded to him. It's not about impressing anybody or telling anybody anything. It's living before the Lord. And that's something that I love. I want us to look at in this third point. And number three, it says, a life of worship will cost you your dignity. So the first one is what you think of you. Number two is about what others think of you. Number three, I believe, is deeper. It's what God thinks of you. When you are willing to lay down your dignity, that means I'm completely yielded to God. His opinion has become the only opinion that matters to me now. I don't don't care what anybody else thinks of me. If you're truly in sincere obedience to the Lord, that will be shaped by love, which means it won't hurt people. So there shouldn't be this fear of hurting people or being out of order or indecent. Because when you're yielded to the Spirit of the Lord, it will be decent. It will be in order and it will look like love. But it will also be sincere. There will be no repression of our emotions, no repression of a a sincere response to the presence of God. Where you're not having to hold back tears. It's okay to let them flow. If you want to bow before the Lord, if you want to dance before the Lord, we allow ourselves to do that in His presence because that's what He's worthy of. He's worthy of complete surrender. A life where I've said my dignity, I lay at your feet. I don't care what they think of me. I'm going to engage in the presence of God. And truly, I know congregations like ours, it's all that we desire. I know that we desire to enjoy the presence of the Lord without inhibition, without being fearful of what, of what someone may think of me if I raise my hands, if I bow on the floor, or if I sit down during worship, or take notes, or if I cry. We don't have to be worried about those things when we're truly submitted to the spirit of the Lord in sincerity and we're yielded to love because love again it doesn't hurt the people around us it doesn't hurt people 
It's faithful to the presence of God, and that's what I want to be. I just want to be faithful to respond appropriately to the presence of God. David could have brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city anyway, but he chose to make sacrifices, and he chose to dance. He deemed that the appropriate way to usher in revival, to make sacrifices, and to dance There's something to be said of that. There's something to be said of a life that looks like surrender, making sacrifices, and dancing before the Lord in complete surrender. Amen? There's a couple of things that David says I want us to pick up on that I think are powerful. Three points. It says, he said, it was before the Lord. Everybody say, it was before the Lord. So Mikkel, she charges him with like, you're making a fool of yourself, blah, 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 blah. And this is his response. It was before the Lord. I will be even more undignified than this, and I will be humble in my own sight. And that, again, just reiterates, it was before the Lord. I'm, my life isn't for you. <laughs> that's like, that's one of our, our sayings up here is like when you don't like the worship set list, we'll, we'll say, well, it wasn't for you. <laughs> it was for the Lord. Amen. It wasn't for everybody watching. It was unto God. Amen. So the opinions, again, of everybody else don't matter. It wasn't for them. It's for him. Amen. Number two, I will be even more undignified than this. I just, this is my, I actually have this saying on a plaque in my office at home. It's just powerful. It's like, I am planning God to live a life of more and more and more surrender. I am planning God to give, to live a life where daily I'm giving you more of my heart. I'm giving you more of my will, more of my purpose. I will be more undignified than this. I speak this over myself. I will be more yielded to him tomorrow than I am today. I will be more surrendered tomorrow than I am today. Ten years from now, I will be ten times surrendered to the Father as I am today. This is what I prophesy over myself, and I believe this is a prophetic statement that David is making. I will be more undignified than this. Let that be the word over the house in your life, meaning I will be more surrendered to you, God, tomorrow than I am today. I will yield more of my will, my purpose, my intellect, my character to you tomorrow than even today. That's, that's where I'm going. Amen. Anybody headed that way? Let's go there together. Amen. And the last one, I will be humble in my own sight. I love this because one of the scholars pointed that I was reading about this whole story pointed out that what David was doing was humbling to himself. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to impress anybody. In fact, it was the opposite. It was probably a little embarrassing for him. He was the king. I'm the king of these people. And here I am among them wearing an ephod. <laughs> like, I never thought I'd be doing this, but here I am. And he was humbling himself. And that's, that's what I mean by every time I'm up here or every time I'm doing something, it's like I live a life of embarrassing myself. It's constant humility, but I chose this life. <laughs> this is what I've chosen. We were called to choose a life of humility before the Lord. And this looks like coming out of our comfort zone. If you're super comfortable all the time, you may not be pursuing surrender. Let that sink in. <laughs> If you're pursuing comfort, that's the opposite direction. If you're pursuing a very comfortable, clean-cut life, that's the opposite direction of surrender. 
It is stepping out of your comfort zone that will bring a yieldedness. It's, it's on the other side of comfort zone where breakthrough is. On the other side of comfort zone where the increase of an anointing is. It's on the other side of your comfort zone where you experience more of the manifest presence of God. On the other side of your comfort zone where you experience breakthrough. Amen? We have to push through comfort zones, and that means being willing to obey when he draws us. It means I, I'm not looking to jump off a cliff, but I'm listening for his direction. You know, I'm not just going to go do something crazy just because here I am, Lord, <laughs> out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be yielded to him. Whatever he says, that's what I'll do. And he knows the rate at which to move you out of your comfort zone. He knows what you can and cannot handle. He knows what your timeline is. He knows how much time to keep you comfortable. And he knows when to begin to push you out of the nest. He's really good about that if we'll yield to his timeline. And we talked about that last time. Surrendering our timeline and pace to him. That we can entrust him to with. But there have to be seasons in the life of every believer where we're stepping out of our comfort zone and we're taking kingdom risks. Whether it looks like some praying over somebody at Walmart or stepping out in the house during worship and giving someone a word of encouragement, whether it looks like um, when a prophetic word comes forth or a word in tongues, and you believe you have the interpretation that I'm going to step out and I'm going to respond in obedience. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone in obedience to the leading of the Spirit. Remember, we're surrendered to the Spirit and the truth. And as those things lead me, they will ultimately lead me again and again out of my comfort zone. And we have to be willing to go. Amen? I, I believe that dignity for the body of Christ is the final frontier. <laughs> it's the final frontier for every believer because we go through over and over. Once you begin to walk in a way that you are surrendering dignity before the Lord, where you're taking kingdom risks, risking being embarrassed, risking being rejected for the glory of God, I, I, I feel like God's got you. When you live in that place habitually, that's where I want to get. I wouldn't say that I live there habitually, but that's the direction I want to move, where I'm taking kingdom risks. I'm responding in obedience to the voice of the Lord, whatever it looks like, however uncomfortable it may feel. Um, last year, um, I'll tell you all this story real fast. Um, we had the 10 days of prayer here. Anybody remember our 10 days of prayer? Incredible. If we do that again, guys, y'all need to come. Those nights are incredible. Um, even when, yeah, anyway, side note, just come. <laughs> just be there. But um, we were at our 10 days of prayer. And one night I was kneeling right there on the rug on the floor. And I was just talking to the Lord, and it was that kind of prayer. Lord, search me and know me. And just asking him, what do you want? What can I give you? What can I surrender? What are you putting your attention on tonight? And he told me, this is uh, the first time that he's really used this word with me. He said, Antoinette, I want your dignity. You got a lot of dignity. You have a lot of self-pride. I want that. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> And I kind of ignored it and I just went on worshiping <laughs> because that's what you do. And so I'm just like, oh, I love you, Lord. I love you. Don't, don't talk. I love you, <laughs> you know. And, um, and then I, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to lay on my face on the floor. Now, remember, I told you I'm a very shy person. I've come a long way, but there are still, I have boundaries. I have boundaries, Lord. He doesn't understand my boundaries. Let's talk to him, y'all. 
And um, I felt like the, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to lay my face on this floor. Y'all know everything that happens on this floor. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> and so in my mind, I'm counting the cost. Like I'm going through, what if I have a wardrobe malfunction while I'm down there? What if some, it's dark. What if somebody steps on me? <laughs> I'm like, I just got hired like a couple months ago at this time. What if they think, oh, man, she's a nut. We hired a radical. Get her out of here. I'm going, I'm counting all the costs. I'm like, what's pa Pastor Terry's close to me? What's he going to think? All this stuff right here. But I was like, Lord, you asked me to do it, so I'm going to do it. And I laid my little face on the floor. I got down there. And when I got down on the floor, nose into that, that rug right there, something on the inside of me just broke. And I just began to weep, a heavy weep right there. And I feel like... What I told you, on the other side of obedience is breakthrough. There was breakthrough that happened internally because the Lord had gained more of the territory of my heart in that simple act of obedience. It may not be a huge thing that he directs you to do. It may be a small, seemingly insignificant act of obedience, but there's breakthrough on the other side of it. We cannot discount these small moments of invitation to obey him because on the other side may be very significant breakthrough for your life. Obedience, surrendered obedience is everything. We need to allow for those moments for the Lord to just break our hearts afresh for him, where we just fall in love again afresh because we've yielded more of our heart to him. We need to have carpet moments of risk-taking. We need to get our faces on the Lord. That's a physical demonstration of what it is to live a life prostrate, a life laid down. Amen? That's what we're called to. So I want to make sure on the other side of obedience— on the other side of obedience, however big or small, is always breakthrough. Revival. Breakthrough. Revival. On the other side of obedience is always breakthrough. Amen. I want to pray this over us, and then we're going to continue tonight in receiving our communion. Okay?